Well, that was some tender time together, and I want to thank again uh, the three leaders that we have here this morning with us. Open your Bibles. We're going to be back in the book of Joshua again this morning, Joshua chapter 6. And we're going to be concluding the life of uh, Rahab today and finding out a little bit more about her story, the conclusion really to her story. And in order for me to start today, I need to bring to your mind a phrase. You've heard the phrase before, one-hit wonder. And a one-hit wonder is a band that had probably a number one billboard song and then you never heard from them again. There's a, uh-oh, we got something going on there. I'm, 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 being, I'm, I'm being hearing myself over there too. That's good. Um, a one-hit wonder, a good example of that is a band that's called Los Del Rio. You've never heard, probably heard of that band before. I hadn't. I didn't remember who they were. But I need to take it back to the year 1997. And the song that they sang spawned a dance craze. And the dance went something like this. dun da da dun da da dun da 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 dun da da dun da da dun da 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 dun da da dun da da dun da 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 Hey! That's it. You know the song. And Los Del Rio sang that song, and it went to the top of the charts, and everybody danced the Macarena for a whole year, and then they went off into oblivion. There's a couple more songs that are one-hit wonders I want to bring to your mind. The lion sleeps tonight. I could not name the band. It's called The Tokens, and that is 1961. How about this one? Some of you remember it. 8675309. That's the song Jenny Jenny. Uh, you had to be back in the day for that one. All right, I, I get that. Uh, that one is Tommy Two-Tone. And one that's more recent is, here's my number, so call me maybe. I, I'm not singing that very well at all. But Carly Rae Jepsen. And that one is 2012. And she had the number one hit that year and, well, has kind of lived a little bit of a slide after that. Why do I even bring up one hit wonders this morning? I'm bringing that up because sometimes in the Bible, there are one-hit wonders. They're mentioned once in the Bible, and then they are never mentioned again. I could name a number of people that are like that, but I want to bring one to your attention that is kind of an important one, and it's one that's easily forgotten. In fact, I don't think many of you are going to know this name, but the name I want to bring to your attention that's a one-hit wonder is Matthias. And it's like some of you are going like... I can, I can pull that one out. I've heard that one before. Even I was like, you know, that one's kind of obscure to me, and I had to kind of look it up. Matthias is the apostle who replaced Judas Iscariot. If you remember, there's 12 apostles, and Judas is gone, so there's a, a time of deliberation and then a decision that they're going to use Matthias as the man who's the new apostle that replaces Judas Iscariot. Do you know he's mentioned one time in the scriptures, Acts 1, verse 23 and verse 26. That's the one little section right there. And we never hear from Matthias again. Is it because he's insignificant? No. 
mean, this is the guy that's an apostle. And he you know, replaces the guy that tubes, and here he is. I and mean, he's you know, all, all in. And, and I'm sure that we're going to hear mighty things about him when we're in heaven. But it's easy for the, the, a life to be kind of celebrated at that moment and then to go off and we don't hear anything more about them. I bring that up today because I would fully expect that Rahab would be a one-hit wonder. Rahab would be this person that would come as a flash of, of faith and a flash of, whoa, look at what just happened. And then all of a sudden, we would just not hear anything from her again. And, you know, I, if I were the writer of the scriptures, I'd be going, probably a lot of good reasons for that. Her pedigree is not good. I mean, she is a Canaanite and she is a, a, a prostitute. Those two strikes against her. I mean, these are lots of reasons why we would just, you know, be better off for all of us if we would just let her fade off the stage and you know, we all just kind of move on. And, and that's a story that we don't, you know, really want to remember or bring back up to the surface again. But guess what? God doesn't operate like that. God remembers all kinds of people for all kinds of strange reasons. And Rahab, for all the right reasons, she is celebrated as this woman that is an awesome woman. Rahab is not just tolerated. Rahab is celebrated. And that's what I want you to hear today. Rahab is not just tolerated. Rahab is celebrated. God wishes to use her story to provide us information about our own stories. And perhaps today, Rahab's story is going to be best for those of you who feel as though you've already reached your zenith. I mean, you know, like there was some good years in the past, but, you know, hey, it's kind of been, the arc's been a little bit downhill now. And so it's like, you know, your story is maybe one that's easily forgotten. And that's what we might think that Rahab would be, a story that's easily forgotten. But she's not. And God views her story as an important one that he wants to bring back to our attention again and again. And your story is very similar to that story of Rahab. Let's do a quick overview, a review of where the story of Rahab has come to this point. And I especially want to bring a little review to those of you who maybe haven't been with us in previous weeks. The story of Rahab starts with the Israelites leaving Egypt. And they leave Egypt under Moses. You remember they wander in the desert. They have some little uh, foibles and some difficulties in the desert, but they get ready to come onto the scene and enter the promised land finally. And Joshua is now the new leader that takes over for Moses. And he says, I'm going to do something really important here. I'm going to send two spies ahead, and the spies are going to go into the city of Jericho, and they're going to figure out what we're going to face when we enter into the land. The two spies come. They're clandestine mission to be great spies busts from the get-go. They end up in the wrong place, or at least the wrong moral place, in the house of a prostitute. Who would plan that? And they also end up being discovered by the king's uh, men, security forces, discover them right away, and so their entire clandestine mission of spying is busted. But guess what? Surprise, surprise, surprise! Rahab hatches a plan. And Rahab, the prostitute, the least likely person that we would think will be the friends to these spies, says, you know what, I'm going to hide you, and I'm going to throw the security forces off your scent and send them into an opposite direction. And that's what happens. And she saves these guys. They are in discussion with her, and she says, you know what, as kind as I've been to you, I'm asking you to be kind to me and my family. And they say yes, 
And so when the army arrives into Jericho, they are going to spare Rahab and her family. Now they arrive, and we know the story. It's not necessarily a military campaign. It's a marching campaign. And they march around the city for seven times blowing trumpets. Finally, it all arrives on the seventh day. After seven times around, they all shout in unison. And the walls, as the story goes and the song goes, come crumbling down. And then they go into the city. They burn the city. They kill everybody in the city. But they spare Rahab and they spare her entire household. And so again, that's the the, uh, recap or the uptick of the entire story that we know about Rahab. Well, what will happen with the rest of the story of Rahab? What happens with her story as it's told on through the years? She actually has a very very sizable legacy that is recorded in the scriptures. And Rahab is not just tolerated, but she's celebrated. And I want you to learn how. So there's three ways that Rahab is celebrated in the scriptures. And let me go ahead and point those out to you today. We're going to start with her position And by her position, I mean really her physical location. First, I want you to notice something that's in the Scriptures, and I want you to notice two verses that are the conclusion of her story in Joshua chapter 6. First of all, Joshua 6, verse 23. I have that on the screen. Here it is. So the young man who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in the place outside the camp of Israel. I want you to notice that, outside the camp of Israel. You can imagine the hesitation. I mean, this woman's a Canaanite. It's no idea what kind of strange views she might hold. And come on, she's a prostitute. And so again, to quote Ronald Reagan, who was negotiating during the uh, Cold War, and there was a a treaty that we were forming with Russia, Uh, we trust, but we verify. And so again, that's their mantra is, you know, we're going to trust, but we're going to verify that this woman is really okay. And so we're going to keep her at arm's length to begin with. But I want you to notice what happens in verse 25, just two verses later. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies into Jericho. And she, here it is, lives among the Israelites to this day. She lives among them. She went from somehow outside to inside. She went from the edge of the camp into the center of the camp. She's incorporated into the very life of Israel. And she's a key woman that would be remembered for her faith for years and years and years to come. She is this key woman. What changed? Something changed in that formerly we just saw all of her baggage. And now we don't see her baggage as much as we see her faith. And she's a fellow believer. She's one of us. She's brought in as one of us, and she's brought in as something, as somebody who's very special and is an important person in the family of God. And so somehow she moves from the outside to the inside. Let me give you an example of that. My family, uh, as many of you know, we spent, well, 13 years in uh, Denver, actually the suburb of Littleton. And my kids grew up there. They're with me today, and I'm excited to have a long weekend with them. Um, But one of the things that happened with us is that we lived in, first of all, one location in Littleton, but we always kind of had our eye on this subdivision called Governor's Ranch. 
And it was a, a very nice subdivision. And one of the reasons we liked that subdivision so much is it had a swimming pool. And a swimming pool that was available to all the members of Governor's Ranch. By the way, we ended up calling it the Gov. So we wanted to live in the Gov. Well, it came about that we actually had the opportunity to move into a house in the Gov. And it did not take long until my kids went immediately and passed the swimming test so that they could get a photo ID and they could go down to the swimming pool anytime they wanted to go, even without mom and dad. So this pass gave them the authority to go in and enjoy the pool, enjoy the lounge chairs, enjoy the clubhouse, everything that was a part of that little subdivision at the Gov. And that was very, very important to them. At that moment, they were not just guests. At that moment, they were in. <laughs> they were rightful owners and members of that clubhouse and able to do anything that anybody else could do that were the rights of obviously being a, a homeowner in that area. What I want you to hear is that Rahab has that same thing happen to her. Her position is now, she's in. She is a full-fledged Jew. She's an Israelite. And even though her background would be very, very sordid and different, even though she would be a foreigner by birth, somehow she is now welded in and she is a full-fledged resident of the people of God in Israel. Do you know that that's exactly what happens to you when you come to know Christ? You're welded in. You are now an adopted son or daughter of God. You are a part of a family. I'm looking at that family right here today. You are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You're an heir of everything that is Christ's and far more important than any pool pass. I can tell you that right now. That's what is part of the inheritance that God has given you when he says you are now in. You're part of my family and you're part of my blessing. That's Rahab. Rahab doesn't just stop with position, though. That's not the only way that she's celebrated. She's also celebrated for her faith. Her faith is celebrated. And I want to give you two examples that are in the Bible where Rahab is mentioned again, past this spot in Joshua, on down the line. Both of these are New Testament examples where Rahab is mentioned again. And specifically, it's Rahab's faith that is pointed out as something that is incredible. First of all, she shows up in Hebrews chapter 11. And if anybody know, any of you know about Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. So these are the people of faith that are the biggies. The people that are the monster big ones that are like, okay, these are our prime examples of faith. And guess what? Rahab shows up right there. And it's like, wow. I mean, that's just incredible. Here's what Hebrews chapter 11 says, starting in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So she ends up being with the likes of Abraham and Sarah and Moses. And Rahab's name is mentioned in the same breath as those individuals. But that's not the only place that she's mentioned for her faith. She's also picked up in James chapter 2. And James' main point is that faith is not enough, or at least verbal faith is not enough. It has to be backed up by some kind of action. 
And so he says, this is what I want you to know about Rahab. He says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not just by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so he's saying she is this prime example for us of somebody who has the perfect combination of saying that they believe in God and then demonstrating that they do it. And he's saying that's the perfect, it's like the oars of a boat. And every time the oars of a boat are represented by, again, my faith and my actions, the boat goes in the straight line. And she is the representation to us of this boat that's being oared properly. And Rahab is to be commended for that. She has a faith that's worth remembering, a faith that's worth emulating. Ephesians chapter 2 is another verse I want you to remember at this point. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like Rahab, we all have a faith that we need to put into action. We have people that we're destined to meet. We have things that we're supposed to say or do that are part of the destiny that God has planned to us to bring great glory to Him. And Rahab fulfills that, and many of us have the opportunity to fulfill that also. But it's going to take faith combined with action. It's going to take faith and action that are working in unison. In his book, The Gospel According to Jesus, Chris Say mentions a profound lesson that he learned from his father about loving, quote-unquote, the bad people. Here's the story he tells. Growing up, he said, we didn't have a lot of money, so we used to go to the outfield bleacher seats, a.k.a. the cheap seats, uh, of the Houston Astrodome to watch the Astros play baseball. He said most of the people out in the bleacher seats didn't spend money on the seats because they wanted to spend money on beer. And so he said, by the second inning, most of the fans are sloshed. He says, there's fights in the, lower, the back corner over here and beer being spilled down the back of your neck. There's, there's peanuts on the ground that just have this beer smell all around them. He says, it was a sight for sore eyes. And he said, it was out of that environment that I learned that my family was hanging out with the bad people out in the bleachers. He says, there was one consistent fan, drunk fan, whose name was Batty Bob. He said, Batty Bob was the self-proclaimed Houston Astros mascot. He'd come to every game wearing a rainbow wig, and he would lead the fans in slurred speech with chants from, uh, about the Astros. He says, I remember one time when my dad and sat and talked at length with Batty Bob. He said, for the entire game, my dad sat and talked with Batty Bob. And then he said something strange happened. Batty Bob walked out of the stadium with us, got in the car, and went home with us. And he says, I was very confused because this guy was one of the bad people. He said, we got home. My dad explained to me how God loved Batty Bob. And I remember thinking, really? Batty Bob? He stayed with us for a few days while he got back on his feet. <laughs> and he says, it was at that moment I started to realize God didn't despise these people at all. He loved them. My dad, Chris Say, 
was an example of faith in action. And all of us have this opportunity for faith in action. If you have a healthy faith, it will be a faith that has action. And Rahab is celebrated for a faith that is exactly like that. There's one more piece of her story that I want you to see. It's her ancestry that is also celebrated. She is the mother of some important people who will come after her. And I want to go point out Matthew chapter 1. It's the genealogy of Jesus. So Matthew opens his gospel and says, I'm going to tell you about where Jesus comes from. And in the ancient world, that was highly important. In the ancient world, it was not just who you were, but it was whose you were. And if you could demonstrate the lineage that you came from, that was highly important in the ancient world, much more than it is in our time today. And the genealogy that Matthew records is found in Matthew chapter 1, and this is what it says. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of, and here's one of my favorite names, Aminadab. You know, I don't have a child named Aminadab. Maybe I'll have a grandchild, maybe Aminadab someday. <laughs> hint, hint. Maybe not. I don't know. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother is that. But here it is. Whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. I want you to notice, in that ancestry, there's three women. Now, were there more mothers than those? Yeah, there were. But only three women are listed. And you know what's true about every one of those women? They all have some difficulty in the past. They all have some kind of real pain. And they all have some pretty miraculous stories of how they trusted God in the midst of all that. And here is Rahab, the mother of Boaz, who marries the Moabite woman Ruth and ends up being the great-grandmother to King David. And all of us know King David is now the one that's the pinnacle figure, that's the leader that comes now into Jesus, the Messiah. Why do I bring this up? Because it would be too easy to bury that story. In fact, why, why put the prostitute in the line of Jesus, right? I, I mean, you know, is God really being prudent in doing that? And, and, and does Jesus get some kind of a stain on, on him as a result of Rahab being there? Not at all. That's not the way God rolls. God rolls with putting all kinds of people that have a great faith regardless of their backgrounds up as saying, hey, I want to point out to you somebody that received my grace, somebody that found my love, somebody that now is a demonstration of the kind of person that I love and I give myself to. And God doesn't celebrate that individual just in their life, but he celebrates them in the life to come, in the ancestry that they have, the lineage that they have, the legacy that they have. And he's saying, I want to do something about celebrating the people that come on after that individual. I want to tell you the story today of the most famous and most influential evangelical woman of the 20th century you've never heard of. The woman I want to tell you about today is Henrietta Mears. I've got a picture of Henrietta Mears right here. 
Henrietta Mears is a woman who was single. She was a woman who was, uh, lived from 1890 to 1963. She taught a Sunday school class at Hollywood Presbyterian in L.A. And from her Sunday school class, she spawned and birthed 400 men that entered into full-time Christian ministry. Not little fish, all right? Billy Graham was with Henrietta Mears in her Sunday school class. Bill Bright, who started Crew, member of her Sunday school class. Uh, Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, member of her Sunday school class. These are all individuals who trained under her and listened to her teaching of the Bible, which was very infectious. And Henrietta Mears actually took Bill and Vonette Bright into her home for 11 years. I mean, this is the kind of stroke that this woman had. Henrietta Mears called these men predominantly again, although there were women actually in the Sunday school class too, but she had a special pension and she called them her boys. That was her title for it. She wrote a book that was called What the Bible is All About that I still have on my shelf today and considered a great introduction to, again, reading of the Bible. She started a publishing company called Gospel Light and it started because her Bible curriculum, her Sunday school curriculum became so famous, everybody wanted to have a copy of it and use it in their church. And so Gospel Light was started as a result of her efforts. Here's a, a great story about her. She grew up as a Baptist in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And she moved to Hollywood she, where she would start her class, of course, in this Presbyterian church that, believe it or not, would grow into the thousands of people that would come for Sunday school before they would go to church uh, or services at this church. Her Presbyterian pastor was confronted by someone who complained about the Baptist who was now teaching at the church. By that time, Henrietta Mears was calling herself, I love this, she called herself a Baptarian. Well, I'm a Baptarian now. <laughs> the pastor rightly responded to the person and said, I would consider anyone a Presbyterian if they did half the work of Henrietta Mears. And I love that response. Again, hey, let's not get caught up on the title. This woman is tremendous in her efforts. Henrietta Mears even had the opportunity, although she had no degrees, to go teach at the major seminaries. They were inviting her. She traveled around the world, actually, in teaching in many, many settings. And again, she spawned the legacy of these individuals who would become so important for the Christian era in the 20th century. So what's the point? Be single and teach a Sunday school class? Is that, is that the point? You could do worse things, believe me. Here's the point I want you to hear today. All of us lead things that we think are maybe small and insignificant, but they may be spawning a legacy you can't even see yet. Who's to know that we don't have the next Billy Graham right here in this church? the next missionary that actually has some tremendous impact on a country somewhere around the world, right here in this church. Maybe a doctor or a lawyer that has some kind of very significant influence in our world. You can't tell. You are an individual whom God has gifted and he wishes to leave a spiritual legacy through you. Rahab is our perfect example of that, but she's hinting to us of the great things that God 
is wanting to do through his people and does all the time. Rahab is not just tolerated, she's celebrated. And guess what? That's the same way God views you. Regardless of your past, heaven celebrates your life and that you've come to have a connection and a relationship with Jesus. God celebrates your position in Christ. God celebrates your faith that leads to works that he's planned for you to do. God celebrates your spiritual ancestry and the legacy that he is building through you. Even if you feel that your story has faded in some way, God doesn't. In fact, God says, the best is yet to come. If you're in me, the best is yet to come. And so what about you? Do you need to be reminded today that you're not just tolerated? You're celebrated. God is doing some work in you that he can do in no other individual. And it's not because you're so great. But it's because the God that lives within you is so great. And he is promising to complete his work in you. With every breath that you take, he is conforming you more and more and more to the image of his son Jesus. If you know Jesus, that is his promise to you today. That you are living a life that is celebrated in heaven. Celebrated at the point at which you had faith for the very first time. Celebrated every time you've made more steps in saying, I'm more in love. I'm more in devotion to my Savior. And a celebrated life is a natural life in the Christian uh, community, in the Christian economy. We celebrate Rahab and the life that she led. And God is celebrating the life that you're leading also. Let's pray. Father, we do celebrate Rahab today, and she would be a person that we would not choose as one that we would hold up as a moniker of faith, but you do. And you don't want us to forget that woman because when the moment became pivotal, she chose rightly. She chose you, and she chose to protect those spies, and she saved her entire family as a result of that. Thank you, Lord, for that legacy. There is also a legacy being built with every individual in this room today. May we not take that for granted, and may we lean into that in order that we might also be celebrated in a similar light as our sister Rahab. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior.